Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Lalo, you did not lead in prayer, did you? Okay, so, so brethren, let's uh, unite our hearts together. Let's seek God in prayer. Remember, it's not a formal thing to just pray. I mean, we really do need God, the Holy Spirit. This is not just something religious we do. We should really know and understand, feel, we need the Holy Spirit. So let's pray and ask for God, the Holy Spirit, to be with us during this last session. Lord, we do cry out to you again, asking for that gracious gift of the Holy Spirit. You have said through your Son when he was on earth that if we who are fathers and are by nature evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will you, our Heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So we come asking for the Holy Spirit to be with all of us during this session, that we would learn from your word and that our hearts and lives would be transformed by your word and the work of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this message deals with child discipline. By way of introduction, I have been told by farmers that when a farmer plows his field, as he sits on his tractor, he looks down the field to the far end of the field, which may be, I don't know, six kilometers away, seven kilometers away, some distance away. He looks down at the far end of the field as he's on his tractor plowing the field. He does that so that he plows his furrows in the soil in a straight line. At the same time, I've been told, the farmer does pay attention to what is immediately in front of his tractor so that he does not accidentally plow over some unanticipated big boulder there in the field. As parents with children, you must remember to look down to the end of the field, as it were, into the future, and have a long-term view of your child disciplining, even as you pay attention to what is happening today in the life of your child or children. You must not neglect the present needs of your child or children, but you must always maintain a long-term view of your child-rearing and discipline. So as we begin our study of this vital subject of child discipline, we need to remember four basic biblical realities. I'm not going to go into them in detail because they've actually been addressed in other sessions. But first of all, you must remember your child is made in the image of God. He's not an animal, she's not an animal. Your child was made in the image of God. 
You must also, secondly, remember, your child is fallen in Adam and is a sinner. When your children were conceived in the womb of their mother, they were conceived as sinners. That is, they are sinners the moment the sperm and the egg join together. A human being has been created at that point. An immortal soul has been imparted at that point. But what has been created is a sinner. David stated this in Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David did not mean that the sexual act of a husband and wife is sinful. No, what he meant was the children that are conceived with Adam's fallen nature in the womb of a mother, they are indeed sinners. They have their parents' fallen nature. All of the descendants of Adam by natural generation are totally depraved. This is another reality you need to remember about your children. They are not as wicked as they could be, but they are totally depraved. Sin has affected your child's mind, your child's heart, your child's soul. Everything about your child has been impacted by sin. That's what total depravity is. They are physically alive, but they are spiritually dead. They need to be regenerated by the sovereign, gracious work of God the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of the gospel. Furthermore, David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, stated in Psalm 58 that the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born speaking lies. I mentioned that earlier today. Your sweet, adorable, beautiful, cute, cuddly infant in your arms or your little cute toddler walking around and making smiles, they are sinners. And they are actually born as liars. And they are totally depraved. They're spiritually dead. They need to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to remember those realities. But thirdly, you need to remember the Lord Jesus Christ can and does save children from their sins when they're very young. It is clear that the Lord preached to children on many occasions, and it's also clear that the Lord warmly received children into his physical presence. That did not make them converted individuals when the Lord Jesus received them into his embrace. But my point is, the Lord Jesus Christ is a Savior who can and does save children from their sins. We know that the Lord came into the world to save all kinds of sinners of every sort of background and age, and you must nurture and discipline your children and pray for them continually, asking the Lord to be merciful to them and save them from their sins. So you shouldn't have this expectation, well, my child cannot become a Christian until he or she is in high school, secondary school, or until he or she is eight years old or 10 years old. Or... No, 
They do need to hear and understand the gospel. They need to know what repentance is, what saving faith is. But the Lord does save children at a very young age at times. And you should think of that and pray for that for your children. But another reality to remember, the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is sufficient for this matter of child rearing and child disciplining. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles or on your smartphones to Proverbs. I'm going to bring you through a whole bunch of Proverbs very quickly with very little comment, and then we'll focus on a proverb because there are many scriptures which clearly instruct parents about their duty of disciplining their children. So first of all, Proverbs 3 and verse 12. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. You see the assumption? God the Lord corrects his people, and so do fathers. They should correct their sons. Proverbs 13, verse 24. He that spares or withholds his rod hates his son, but he that loves him chastens him diligently or early. See, it's very different than the world's view about discipline. Proverbs 19, verse 18. Discipline your son while there is hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. Proverbs 20, verse 30. Stripes that wound cleanse away evil and strokes reach the innermost parts. You see, discipline not only affects the actual flesh and body of your child as he or she is disciplined, but that disciplining of the body reaches into the innermost parts of the child. You need to understand that. Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's not a promise saying that if you do what is biblical and right, all of your children will become Christians. But it is teaching us that as you train and discipline your children, that way, talk to them when they are young, they won't forget it when they're older. Proverbs 22:15, foolishness is bound up in the heart. And again, I've said in these sessions, in the Bible, the heart is the mind, the will, the affections. So foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. And just as an aside, Sometimes children act silly, and it's not sinful, but sometimes they act foolishly, and their foolishness is sin. That's what this proverb is reminding us. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Well, you don't apply the rod of correction if foolishness is not sin. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Well, that's pretty strong language in the Bible, but it is God's word. Of course, the proverb is not teaching us to do what would be called physical abuse of children. 
it's not teaching us to do, you know, we use, in, at least in America, if we said we're beating somebody, I mean, that's a very, very bad thing to be doing. But it's just saying you're going to apply the rod to this child, to this child's bottom, in order to deliver him from the way of sin and the way that leads to hell. Proverbs 29, verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself causes shame to his mother. Would you have delight in your child when he or she is now older? Well, then discipline that child while he or she is young, because if they're left to themselves to do whatever they want, they will bring shame to the mother. Proverbs 29, 17, correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight unto your soul. So when you look at all those Proverbs, when you hear all of them, you should realize the Bible does say a fair amount about disciplining children, but it's not all contained in the Old Testament or in Proverbs. You can get many illustrations throughout the Bible the last passage before we turn to one proverb is Hebrews 12, verses 7 and 8. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, whereof all have been made partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. And that's the meaning of the, the language there. So you see what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. When God chastens you as a Christian, he does so in love. And he's doing it to correct you. And the writer is saying, any good father is going to do this with his earthly, fleshly son. You don't discipline your neighbor's son, you discipline your own son. So you see, this is in the scriptures. But now turn to Proverbs 13, 24. I've already read it, but that's the proverb I'd like to focus on a little bit this afternoon. Proverbs 13, 24. He that spares or withholds his rod hates his son, but he that loves him chastens him diligently or promptly or early. So note the contrasts that are given to us in this proverb. They're totally contrary to what the world proclaims and teaches. God tells us in this proverb that the parent who withholds the use of the rod upon his child, when his child requires such discipline, that parent actually hates his son or daughter. It is not love to withhold corrective discipline from a child. It is actually hatred of that child. No parent I've ever met will just say, yeah, yeah, that's true. They, Christian parents, when they grasp this, they understand it, they believe it's true. But the common thought is, if I spank that child, that's not really love. No, spanking the child when the child deserves the spanking, that is love. To withhold that discipline is hatred. Parents do not listen to the unconverted, ungodly in the world about you about this matter. 
Listen to what God the Creator clearly states is a manifestation of true love for your children. That is manifested when you, the parent, administer biblical, physical, corrective discipline to your child. But now notice from Proverbs 13, 24, first of all, the duty of parents, and it's stated negatively, do not spare the use of the rod in disciplining your child. That is God's command. When you do not obey God's command in this matter, you are, as a parent, sinning. You're sinning against God when you don't obey God. The discipline of our children must commence, begin, with self-discipline. Usually parents, whether converted or not converted, who indulge their children and don't discipline them, it's because they actually are themselves very self-indulgent. And if you have a tendency to laziness, if you have a tendency to uh, self-indulgence, you need to see that that is sinful, and if you're a parent, that will affect the way you deal with your own children. You're not to be self-centered and self-indulgent. You're not to be guided by your emotions. You're to be guided by the clear teaching of the Word of God. You're not to spoil and hate your children. You're to love them and discipline them. But notice, secondly, from Proverbs 13, 24, the instrument to be used by parents. The verse says parents are to use a rod. In the Hebrew language, this word does mean rod. It means a stick, a rod, a staff. Now, when your child is very young, a one-year-old, uh, uh, an infant that's almost one, you may be using your hand, you may be using your hand in order to administer corrective discipline, and, and I believe that's okay. Your hand is, as it were, the rod at that time. You may firmly hit the child on the hand to correct, or maybe on the bare thigh. But by the time your child has become about two years old, that's just a rough general comment by me, by the time your child is around two years old, the hand, as a rod, is no longer very effective. And you need to transition to using some kind of rod, like a wooden paddle, you know, a small wooden paddle. And it is to be used, generally speaking, on the bare bottom of your child. I said the bare bottom. You don't spank through a nappy unless you want to create a nice mess. <laughs> Spanking through clothing and nappies is not going to have much effect. And it is self-denial because if the child still is using nappies, you take the child for, for a spanking, corrective discipline into, let's say, a bathroom for privacy. You pull down the pants of the boy, you pull down the nappy, and there you find there's poo everywhere. So before you can then spank him, I mean, I would advise you first clean him up. <laughs> and I know this from personal experience, of course. So God has so designed the fleshly bottom of children that it can receive 
the rod and you will not kill your child. But that has an effect and it reaches to the innermost parts of that child's heart. You should do such disciplining in privacy, not in public. You should do it in, let's say, a bathroom or a bedroom. And the number of times you use the rod should relate to the nature and severity of the sin which the child has committed. The biblical use of the rod must never involve harsh severity, but be principled, faithful, loving, and firm. The goal of such discipline is, of course, the correction of the child, turning the child back into the way of righteousness and truth, turning the child away from the path of sin and unrighteousness. The goal of such loving discipline is the submission of the child's will to the will of the parent and the will of God. The goal of such loving discipline is the humbling of the child. Remember that pride is also a sin. It is the production of proper behavior by the child. It is directing the child to the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. That's the goal of loving biblical discipline or goals. So the duty of parents stated negatively, the instrument to be used by parents. Thirdly, the duty of parents stated positively. Parents must chasten their children diligently. Some English Bibles say diligently, some say promptly, some say early. The Hebrew word used by Solomon in this verse could be translated with any of those three words. They all convey the truth that parents need to understand and obey. Your children should not be disciplined inconsistently, but diligently. Your children should not be disciplined with undue delay, but promptly. Your children should not be disciplined later in life, but early when they are very young. One commentator said, the cry of passion from the infant is his first stir of the native corruption. Do we begin to discipline our children as early as they manifest the cry of passion? Every vice commences in the creche. This was a British commentator. I don't know if I said that word correctly. The nursery, the creche, is that correct to say it? Every vice, you see what he's saying, and this is, this is not a modern commentator. Every vice commences, begins in the creche. The great secret is to establish authority in the dawn of life, to bend the tender twig before the knotty, K-N-O-T-T-Y, before the knotty oak is beyond our power. See, the idea, the child is young. That's the time when you can bend them properly according to the word of God. Later on, if they're left to themselves, they become like an oak tree, which you cannot really change. So pray for the salvation of your children. Pray for their salvation daily. Remember the words 
and the example of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10. You don't need to turn there. I'll just quote it for you. To me, this is such an encouraging uh, verse, Romans 10 verse 1, where Paul wrote, Brethren, my heart's desire and my supplication to God is for them, his fellow Israelites, that they may be saved. In chapter 9 of Romans, Paul deals with God's sovereign election using the example of Jacob and Esau. And then he transitions into dealing with the reality of Israel, that not all of the Israelites are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, many are rejecting him. They're hardened. They're rebellious. And what does Paul say? Well, that's good. Just leave them alone. No. My heart's desire and my supplication to God is for them that they may be saved. That should be the heart's desire and supplication of every father and mother. In the midst of disciplining, you're pleading with God that he would have mercy upon your children. But now turn to Proverbs 29 and verse 15. Proverbs 29 and verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself causes shame to his mother. Our previous proverb focused upon the necessary use of the rod in disciplining our children, for it is frequently neglected, the use of the rod, even by the godliest of parents. And hence, that proverb focused upon the use of the rod. This proverb, 29.15, also reminds us of the need for the use of the rod and instructs us that words of reproof must be joined to the use of the rod. First of all, see from this verse, Proverbs 29.15. First of all, biblical discipline includes words, not just the rod, words of reproof. When your child has sinned, the parent must tell the child, especially when they're very young, clearly, specifically, and succinctly the identity of the sin. This is not an occasion to give a 10-page thesis to your child about depravity of man or some lengthy discourse on sin, no. But you have to tell your child clearly, specifically, succinctly the identity of the sin. The parent should join to these words the use of appropriate scripture, which underscores the reality of the child's sin. So here is an example. Johnny, this is the mother speaking to Johnny, her son, a little boy, and I made these up, but these are very much real life sorts of situations. Johnny, mommy told you to come to the kitchen. You heard me. You did not obey. You continued to play with your toys in the living room. Now you may say, well, is that sin? Well, once you give a command to your child, if they don't obey your command, it is sin. Why? What scripture? What scripture are they breaking? 
God commands you, Johnny, in his word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You tell your child to do something, they don't do it. They disobeyed you. If you don't want to create that kind of a problem, then don't tell them a command. Like, Johnny, come here to the kitchen. It's time for dinner. And usually what happens in these situations, if the child's speaking, you know, a, a three-year-old, four, I didn't hear you. Well, let's say you had deliberately gone as the mother to the doorway into the living room. You can see Johnny playing with the toys, and that's where you told him, come into the kitchen, it's time for dinner. You know he heard you. So now he's just lied. Because he said, I didn't hear you. And if you're convinced he did, he just lied. Well, you might be thinking as a parent, well, he was so focused upon playing with toys that he really, he heard, but he didn't hear. Well, that may be true, but that's not right. So if that's a problem, you need to first deal with that problem where you need to say, Johnny, whenever you hear mom's voice, you need to stop what you're doing and take your ears and turn to where that voice is coming from. Whenever you hear dad's voice, Whatever you're doing, you need to stop. We're talking about little children here. Stop what you're doing and pay attention to dad's voice. That's what a child should be doing, you see. In such situations, you must not allow your child to debate with you, to argue, to discuss. I'm talking about young children. I'm not talking about teenagers. It's very different. By the time you get to the teen years, if you've been doing things properly when they're young, you will have times of discussion with teenagers, not to avoid any sort of discipline. And I'm not saying that teenage years are still going to be applying the rod. It's a whole other topic. But we're talking about young children. You should not permit the child to just debate with you, argue with you. You shouldn't allow the child to excuse himself. You need to teach the child to obey. My wife and I used, I don't know if I told Pastor Layla of this, but we used this, this little ditty. We would sing it. So now we're going to be tortured here. But I will obey the first time I'm told. I will obey right away. Never with a sigh, never asking why. I will obey right away. So I will obey the first time I'm told. The first time, not the second, third, fourth. I will obey the first time I'm told. I will obey right away, never with a sigh. Never say, why? I will obey right away. That ditty is good because it's rooted in biblical principles. Now, if the child is a young infant and you're changing its nappy and the child arches its back and kicks and screams and flails its arms and you've changed this child's nappy many times and you realize this is, this is actually, believe it or not, this infant on the changing table with a nappy, this is actually, this child is actually being really sinfully angry. I'm just trying to do it good by changing its nappy. 
you might just, with your bare hand, just smack on the side of the, the bare thigh. And you'll probably find the child will be a little surprised, and guess what? And you say, no, no sinful temper. Now, you may think I'm being extreme. I don't think I am. I don't believe I am. You must start properly disciplining, appropriately disciplining children when they're very young. It may not happen on the changing table, and I, I, you don't use your hand at that point. And where you change to using a rod, it depends on your child. There are a variety of circumstances, situations with each child that you may have. Suppose the child is now around five or six years old, able to communicate, he's playing with his brother, but then he goes over to his brother, grabs something out of his brother's hand, maybe it's a toy, and then just hauls off and smacks his brother in the head. And if you don't think that can happen, I assure you it can, because my two sons, things like that happened when they were that age. Joshua, the older one, he had no problem being a bully and doing sorts of things like that. So whatever the case may be, you must make sure though, I'll just use the two names, Joshua and Nathaniel. When Nathaniel comes running to you and tells you what happened, you must make sure you get the facts. You didn't see what happened, Nathaniel's telling you what happened, and you think to yourself, that sounds like Joshua. But you still need to make sure you get the facts, because maybe Nathaniel wants to get Joshua into trouble, and Nathaniel actually is lying. I mean, you need to remember Proverbs 18, 17. He that pleads his cause first seems just, but his neighbor comes and searches him out. So you need to go back to the situation and you see how much self-denial this takes on the part of a mom especially, because dad's usually off in the office or whatever, but if dad's home, dad should be involved. It takes a lot of time and you have to talk to Joshua and Nathaniel, your two daughters or whoever it is, and you need to try to get all the facts to figure out what really happened so you don't administer punishment wrongly. And then depending upon what the child has done, you need to explain again what the sin is, but by the time they're four, five, six, they should be able to tell you, what was that sin, Joshua? I coveted. And when I hit Nathaniel, that was sinful anger, that was actually in the seed form, murder. You have to teach your children biblical principles, biblical truth, the commandments of God. And you need to get them to understand what they did, why it was sinful. And then you have to administer the rod. But you see, Proverbs 29, 15, it's the rod and reproof. When they're very young, there's not as much of the reproof, but as they start to get a little bit older, it's the rod and reproof. It's not just reproof, it's not just the rod, it's the rod and reproof together. And you need to instruct your children how to confess their sin to God, how to confess their sin to one another, how to freely forgive the sin of another. You need to use words to correct them, to instruct them. 
The rod and reproof are like two sides of a coin. You cannot have one side without the other side. You should have the rod and reproof joined together. And many times after the correction, the rod correction and all the reproof, you should then pray with the child that was corrected. And you teach the child how to pray. So very early on, you will pray, and the child's not praying because they're too young to do that. They're not even talking a lot, perhaps. But now as they start to talk, you give the child words to pray. You teach the child to pray. Then they're a little bit older, then they pray on their own. You pray with the child as well. And you then hug the child. And you express verbally love for your son or daughter. Daddy loves you. This is why I actually spanked you. I spanked you because I love you. God tells me to discipline you and to do it in love, and I love you. And you show the love physically, hugging. So you pray together, you express love, you show love, and then, if you can, you put the child back in the same situation to make sure they actually have learned the lesson. You may have the child give the toy back to Nathaniel. You, you need to make sure the lesson really did get absorbed into the child's mind and heart. One of my sons, all of a sudden, we were learning the catechism. So after dinner, we would do the question and answer catechism for children. And this son, he wasn't really that old. So he wasn't eight, he was younger. He had learned the answer, the questions and the answers all the way up to, I don't remember what the number was. Let's say it was number 20. And one night, we started off with the first question as a review, who made you? And he refused to answer the question. The answer is God. So I said, it was Joshua. I said, Joshua, who made you? So he's already up to like question 20. And this first question is so easy. Who made you? He just sat there. He didn't open his mouth. And I thought, what is going on here? He said, Joshua, a third time, who made you? He, he just refused to answer. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> this is really amazing. So sometimes the disobedience is in areas that really this is absolutely crazy. So I'm not going to go into all the details of all that transpired and everything, but eventually God broke through and it was definitely a significant turning point in his life. I said he wasn't four or five, whatever. He was actually two years old. So the rod and reproof, but notice now it gives wisdom to the child. That's what the proverb tells us. So the rod of correction is ordained by God to drive foolishness out of the child. And the rod of reproof and the words, the rod and reproof give wisdom to the child. 
You need to understand that, that God has ordained that wisdom will be given to the child. And thirdly, from this proverb, an undisciplined child shames his mother. You don't want shame brought to your wife, dear father, so make sure you are faithful in disciplining your children with the rod and reproof. Well, there are positive examples of discipline in the Bible. Hebrews 12 is one of them. But I would like you to consider briefly a couple of negative examples of discipline or the lack thereof. Eli, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 11. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 11. It's very interesting that God in his word has given us these negative examples of what not to do, of individuals who didn't discipline according to God's word. 1 Samuel 3, verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that hears it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning even unto the end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons did bring a curse upon themselves and he did not restrain them. We stop our reading there. This is God speaking. This is God speaking to Samuel, telling Samuel what he will do concerning Eli and Eli's house forever. And he said, God said, I will judge his house. Why? Because there was iniquity in his household. Eli knew about it. His sons were behaving very sinfully. You can read about that in 1 Samuel. And Eli didn't restrain them. And interestingly, at this point, his sons are adults. But I believe it's right to assume, it is an assumption, that if he was not restraining them now as adults, he didn't do it when they were much younger. But regardless of the case, you see, this Bible passage is showing us that we must not, as fathers and mothers, restrain ourselves from disciplining our children when they commit iniquity unless you want God's judgment upon you. Turn now to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 21. If you know the history here, David's son Amnon forced and raped Tamar. David, King David, had multiple wives. The mother of Amnon was not the mother of Tamar or Tamar. So they both, Amnon and Tamar, had David as father, but they had different mothers. And Amnon forces and rapes his half-sister Tamar. And when King David hears about this, 
He was very angry. That's what 2 Samuel 13, 21 says. But when King David heard of all these things, Amnon raping his half-sister Tamar, he, David, was very angry. But if you read the history, what did David do? Now, Amnon is an adult, but David did nothing. From the historical account in 2 Samuel, it doesn't seem like David even spoke to Amnon about this matter. And again, he's an adult, but David did nothing. He's the father, he's the king, he did nothing. So then in this history, Absalom realizes, speaking to Tamar, what happened. So you need to understand, Absalom and Tamar David was their father. Absalom and Tamar had the same mother. Amnon had a different mother. Absalom and Tamar are not half-siblings, they're full-blooded brother and sister. So Absalom hears about this, is grieved, and we're told in this historical passage that Absalom hated Amnon. Two years go by, and then Absalom arranges the murder of Amnon, and Absalom flees out of Israel. Now turn to 2 Samuel 13, verse 39. Same chapter, verse 39. So Absalom has fled after murdering Amnon, his half-brother. Verse 39, and the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing that he was dead. Why did he long for Absalom? He had a sentimental love for Absalom. Eventually, Absalom is brought back into Israel through the workings of Joab, but then David refuses to see Absalom. And so then what happens is Absalom gets Joab's fields lit on fire so that Joab will act to get David and Absalom reconnected. And they get reconnected. And then Absalom, as you probably know, eventually rebels against his father, King David. But the point is David, a man after God's own heart, the Bible tells us, did not discipline, didn't do anything whatsoever to Absalom, who murdered his son Amnon. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 5. First Kings chapter one, verse five. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father, King David, and his father had not displeased him, Adonijah, his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, why have you done so? 
And he, Adonijah, was also a very handsome man, and he was born after Absalom. So Adonijah, a son of David, from the woman Haggith, as it says here, he decides one day that he wants to be the next king, and he gets all sorts of friends and soldiers to help him to pronounce that he's going to be the next king. And here in 1 Kings 1, verse 6, God the Holy Spirit tells us what the root problem was. His father, David, had not displeased Adonijah at any time. He never said, Adonijah, why are you doing this? Adonijah, what's going on here? Adonijah, why are you behaving this way? He, he never did it. So David... Again, a man after God's own heart, the psalmist of Israel, who by the Holy Spirit wrote us numerous portions of what's now God's word for us. Wonderful truth in those psalms. He is set before us as a father, as a negative example of what not to do. Godly David was a bad father. You don't want to be like King David in that realm. You need to be involved with the lives and the hearts of your children from infancy all the way up into adulthood. And when they're in your household, you need to not let them do whatever they want to do because the ruler of your house is not dad. The ruler of your home, your family, is Jesus Christ. And as parents, you are under Jesus Christ. And you are to use God's word in your household, in your family, to administer discipline to your children, to the end of bringing them to Jesus Christ. Should never forget the gospel and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the mind and to the heart of your children from the youngest age. You don't wait till they start talking to you. You bring the gospel to them and you continue to do so and pray for their salvation. So these are just a little bit of some teachings concerning child disciplining. Hopefully it is helpful to you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we ask that you would help every parent here to be faithful to Christ and his word, to be faithful to the hearts and the lives of their children, to indeed use the rod one needed, to use verbal reproof as well, to love their children in the use of the rod and the reproof, to love their children in so many ways that they cannot deny that reality, that their Christian father and Christian mother truly do love them. Lord, work, we pray, and bless child disciplining by Christian parents. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.